Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, what a way to start Father's Day weekend off. How are you doing? Good. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome everyone watching in Bothell, Duval, and Issaquah as well. As we uh, not only celebrate dads, we learn from the scripture, but we're going to close out this series, Fight Club, and we're looking at this is how to win as a dad. Uh, any of you would say that you're a little bit competitive. Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, oh, a lot of you are uh, competitive around here. That's great. Uh, I, I'm competitive. Uh, in fact, I was reminded again this last week we had a family games night. That's one of the things we do uh, every once in a while still, even though my daughters are older. And we decided to do new games this time. And so we played the game Bananagrams. Any of you play that? It's like a Scrabble kind of game. Uh, and my problem is, ever since they came up with that thing called Spell Check about 25 years ago, uh, I, I like literally cannot, uh, and, and I hate to lose. In fact, uh, I'm, I've shared this before, I'm so intent on winning. We used to actually have other families over uh, for our games nights, but the outcome was the same every time. They would end up leaving the church. Uh, and uh, it was a ruthless competition or the gloating afterwards. I'm not sure what it was, but that was what would happen. Well, we played Bananagrams. I was not winning. Uh, and then they said, well, why don't you uh, play a game that you learned growing up? Only games, literally, I'm not kidding, we played growing up. We played Monopoly, was the only board game. We also played Blackjack and Poker growing up. And so I taught them how to play Blackjack and Poker. Uh, now I know some of you are like, Pastor, did you use real money? I'm not gonna tell you. Uh, although my oldest daughter did ask me if she could go uh, to the Snoqualmie Casino for her 21st birthday. <laughs> but we, we all have these, we like to win, don't we? And as guys, we like to win. Here, here's the problem, is oftentimes we're not sure how to win as a dad. I mean, look at, say, look at TV, we get examples of uh, dads, and they're often not good. You know, Tony Soprano, he did not set a good example. Uh, Homer Simpson, clueless. I mean, at movies, Darth Vader, he tried to kill his son. And then, uh, then, you, then you go to the Bible and you see these examples uh, that are also troubling. You have King Saul, he threw a spear at his son. You have uh, Judah, he hooks up with his daughter-in-law. That's a whole Jerry Springer moment in the Bible. Uh, and then uh, Joseph, even think about that. He lost Jesus for three days and didn't figure it out for a couple days. And we have these examples, and so what we wonder is how do we move forward as dads? In fact, uh, there's all sorts of dad fails. Uh, I, I came across some more even this week. Uh, this is dad having fun with his son. Now, now the women are horrified. The men think that is pretty good there. Uh, this one is one that, yeah, this is horrible. Yeah, if you get the picture there, mom's losing her lunch, dad is taking a selfie. Uh, and then uh, there's, uh, this one I thought was good though. 
Now, hey, that's just called good stewardship of resources. That's what that's called there. And then, then I was driving by, I'm not kidding, I was just driving by yesterday, and this is what I found out in, in, uh, in the Ballard, or actually it was uh, Queen Anne Hill area, husband daycare, need time to relax, leave your husbands with us, need time for yourself, we'll look after him, need to go shopping, you just pay for his drinks. And so that was there. And, and so dads, we get this, you know, sort of this buffoon image that we see, especially in the media. And we know deep down in our hearts that us winning at a dad is, that's good for us, it's important for us, because uh, we wanna win, we don't wanna feel like a failure. But we understand that ultimately there's much more at stake than us. And if you're here and uh, you know we have a growing number of younger people and you say, hey, I'm not even married yet. Man, listen today and this, this is one of those messages you'll probably want to uh, listen to again because what I'm gonna be sharing is not only from the scripture, I'm gonna share what I've observed and what I've experienced in uh, what God's plan would be so we can win as dads. Uh, there, there are so many of you who you're a product of a father who said, I'm going to win as a dad. And they put the time and the energy and the effort into doing uh, the right things. Uh, and some of us were saying, hey, that was not my experience. It was a lot more difficult for me. Uh, and then, uh, what was that like? Well, we all have the, you know, these kind of dads. Uh, so maybe it was the commentator dad. Maybe that was it, that your dad was not involved, but uh, he was just sort of comment on what was going on, a passive spectator. Uh, dads that don't make it, are, there's a special guest star dad, the dad that just comes in for a while and, uh, you know, just does his thing and then is really then absent most of the time. Uh, and I, in fact, I know the, the pain of divorce is hard uh, in, with that. And I, I talk to dads and they're saying, hey, you know, how do I do that well? And that's, that's a challenge. Sometimes I'll tell you what, for me is having my kids all the time, it's sort of hard to show up every day. And we can go to that. Or we can be the distracted dad uh, this is a dad. I have a chair at home. I can't believe I have a chair. Did your dads have a chair? Yeah, I have one of those chairs. In fact, I, I've heard rumor I'm getting a new one for Father's Day, but I love this chair. It's like, you know, been there for 15 years. It's broken in perfectly. Uh, but when I'm in that chair, something happens. The house could be on fire. I will not notice it. My kids, they, they have whole conversations with me, and it, it just, you know, it's just me and Jesus and the TV, and sometimes mostly the TV, <laughs> and so, but what can happen is it could be check email, all of that. We get distracted. That is natural. Hey, here's one thing I learned. I'll tell you right this up front. Uh, I learned this the hard way. Actually, I didn't learn it the hard way. My wife told me. Uh, she, I would come home and I'd be uh, on the phone still or return an email from one of you people. And <laughs> so, and she would, she would say to me, hey, I'd rather have you come home later and be fully home when you're home. And so uh, there's that. And then there's Mad Dad. Many of you grew up with Mad Dad. Just angry all the time. 
You never know, especially uh, if you're an adult child of an alcoholic, you never know who was going to show up. And that affects you. By the way, uh, I know people who say that doesn't affect you. It does. Everyone else knows it. You just don't know it yet. And then there's dictator dad. The dad who's uh, just, and usually it's not like in way back when dad would just say and everyone would jump. But usually dictator dad in, in our day and age is the dad who will just maybe ridicule or shame a little bit and get his way that way. So how do we live differently? How do we live differently? Well, the scripture is interesting. If you, if you study the scripture, uh, at the end of the Bible in Malachi chapter 4, the, the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament and then we'll go and look at the first chapter uh, of one of the first gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, uh, and we get this continuity that God, in his redemption plan, it's, not, it's, it's about going to heaven. By the way, heaven is a real place, uh, and it's about that. It's about forgiveness of sins, but it's also about our restoration in family. In fact, we're told in Malachi 4.6, it says, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. See, part of God's restoration plan is that there would be a reconciliation. And that, by the way, is not talking about young kids. That's talking about you. It's talking about you with your parents. You say, I, you don't know the story. I don't know the story. But I do know God's plan. And in fact, uh, with J John the Baptist, uh, by the way, some of you think it was, you know, John the Baptist, I've said this before, that he wasn't, that wasn't a denomination. It wasn't like John the Baptist and Larry the Lutheran and Phil the Methodist. Uh, it was John, he, his ministry was to give a symbol of what God would do in cleansing our hearts and souls through baptism. And... Uh, in that, he would come and he would do that. And there was a, a, a prophetic word said about that. And it said, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And get this, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And so see, we see this again, that, that there's this reconciliation there's this joining of hearts together, that's God's plan, uh, in parenthood, whether you're a mother or a father. But for dads, and there's a lot of reasons, I think there's a lot of reasons sociologically, uh, where this can be more difficult. And we say, where do I begin? If I want to win, if I want to win as a dad, where do I begin? Know this, before anything else, it's about my heart. The thing we learn in the scripture is before anything else, it's about my heart with God and then how God will form my heart for my family. And so how do we live out this heart for my family? And this is what I want to do today. I'm going to just go through some observations. You know, I've, uh, uh, most weekends I'll go through a theme, a thematic part of Scripture or a passage of Scripture, and that'll be our primary jump-off point. I'm going all over the Bible today. And what I'm going to do is consider what the Scripture would say. Uh, the first thing the Scripture says very clearly, and this is not ambiguous, 
is to make family your first job. Uh, that your very first job uh, will be that. It says in 1 Timothy 3, 4, it, when it's talking about leaders in the church, it, it says, he must manage his own family well. Isn't that interesting? It's saying that if you want to be a leader, you need to focus on your family. I was at Seattle Pacific University this week, and uh, I went by the building where uh, the, the shooting took place. You know, there are some people who were killed there by a gunman, an unfortunate and recurring story, and I was thinking about that. And of course, this week was uh, with uh, the anniversary of what happened in Charleston, and last week in Orlando. And there's, I'm sure there's all sorts of thoughts and emotions around that. But I was thinking about it in terms of today. Because you know, you know what I think would be one of the most painful things? is to be the dad or the mom who lost their child. And, and I don't know about you, for me, uh, I would be thinking about where I didn't put the priority. And you, you might say, I wish I would have done it differently. And I, can I tell you today that you can't do anything about the past. You really can't. God gives us the present, which will form our future. And so today, we don't have to wait, hopefully, for a tragedy, for some senseless killing to remind us that every day is precious. And, and the hard part is, is sometimes those little blessings may not seem so precious at the moment. They can be a little challenging. And we, we, we look at the moment and not the magnitude of who we are in their lives. Dads, you have an inordinate influence in your kid's life. Spiritually, I mean, statistics uh, would say that fathers, and you say, I'm not that spiritual. You have an inordinate influence in your child's life. Uh, and I know you're here today, and by the way, Timberlake's great. Father's Day weekend is always killer. I talk to my friends, they're like, oh, Father's Day, no one's going to show up. I'm like, people always show up at Father's Day weekend. And maybe it's just because they know that we're going to have awesome man food after our services. But... Uh, but today, can I tell you something? You're setting an example by just simply being here. You're doing an amazing thing and setting an example and saying on the day that's all about me, we're going to worship God. Well, number two, don't be a grouch. <laughs> this is a, a, a big one. We, we, uh, we want to not be a grouch. And here's what happens is we will have our, our week and maybe your day and it affects us and then we get a little bit grumpy and we bring it home, right? Uh, not, not too long ago, I think it was about a year or so ago, I'm uh, sitting in a parking lot and uh, as I'm there, I'm, I'm not driving and texting, I'm texting someone and someone's next to me. Uh, in this parking lot at the grocery store, and the door slams into my car. And uh, you know what I said? I said, praise the Lord. No, I didn't say that at all. <laughs> she, in fact, she, she was like trying to get away, and then she looks back and sees me, and she goes, I'm sorry. 
And I mouthed back, me too. <laughs> and, you know, I, those moments, then what do I do? I let that affect everything. And we need to remember, Dad, we can't show up as a grouch because we're big in our kids' life. They, well, my kid's in their 20s. They don't care what I think anymore. No, they care. They may be rebelling against what you think because everyone's on a respect our rebellion continuum. But they care. And by the way, if your parents are older, you're now in that rule where they want to know how how uh, they did. One of my, I, have, I have sort of a guilt thing that I deal with. And uh, having been in ministry all these years and done taught and other things, I felt like there's times where I've not been present for my kids like uh, I wanted to be. Or I, I, actually, I, I felt like I should be. One of the most incredible times was recently where uh, I was talking to my daughter and uh, I was just joking about it. I said, well... You know, when you get older, you can, you know, you can go to your therapist and say how your dad wasn't there. And she looked at me really seriously, and she goes, Dad, I never felt like that. I never felt like you weren't there for me. Uh, and that, to be honest with you, is the best moment I've had, uh, one of the best moments in my life. And I think what it was is I think there were times that I wasn't there but she was just extending grace because grace is big in our family. And you're going to either be full of grace or a big grouch. And your kids, your family, your friends, by the way, if you never have kids, they need that grace. It says, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And then number three, what, what do I see in dads who win as they make strategic sacrifices? Uh, the, I don't know if I've uh, shared the story or not, uh, but a number of years ago I pastored a church in Santa Barbara, and one of the couples uh, we met there in this church, in fact, uh, when we first came, the church only had like 67 people, so it was a small church, and one family made up seven of the 67, so I got to know them very well, and uh, I'm like, yay, if they leave church attendance went down over 10%. So, you know, uh, I was talking to the family, and they had uh, quadruplets, right? And then uh, after that, something happened. Two months later, got pregnant again and had a fifth child, and she hit him. No, <laughs> the, uh, but the, what happened is uh, obviously everything changed. And uh, you know, was talking with him. He, was, he had been a physical therapist. And just, you know, that I, and that's a good job. That's a great professional job. But in Santa Barbara, super expensive with the dynamics of five kids. Uh, he was, he was, I was talking to him because he owned a commercial painting company. And uh, he said, I went to commercial painting because he had done it before. And, and he was able to make about twice as much money and be home with his kids for a couple hours in the afternoon. And he today is still one of my heroes. And that, my friends, is sacrifice. He didn't give up a promotion. He even gave up the career he wanted for his family. And I'm not saying that if you, you have to do that same thing. But that's an example of a strategic sacrifice. We're 
We're told in the scriptures this about the marriage relationship. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, and then number four, this is a part that's also not so fun, and, and that's especially those of you with older kids, is have the hard conversations. These are conversations where uh, they're, they're not fun because it involves a change in direction. In fact, the word discipline in the Bible uh, comes from the same word that we get disciple, and that's someone who is following after God. That's important to remember in discipline, especially if you have younger kids is what's the end game of discipline? It says this in Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your child and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. Sometimes there's gonna be things that uh, we're gonna need to challenge and we need to do that with wisdom and grace. And I understand that you feel like sometimes it's not worth the fight. And the issue may not be worth the fight, but they are worth the fight. They are worth it. And and when you're saying, hey, I want them to follow after God. I I, I talk to parents all the time, and the discipline issues can be varied. It's different at 2, then 12, then 17. But they still need you there to help set the boundaries, to help set the parameters. And then number five, give the gift of confidence. This is interesting, again, uniquely uh, related to dads. There's a book that was written a number of years ago. In fact, uh, it's called The Blessing. It was written around 1990. And it went over the the theological uh, implications in the Bible of the blessings we see. But the co-author was a clinical psychologist Uh, He still is, and he he runs a a fairly famous clinic. And he was talking about the psychological part of that as well, that we see affirming what the Scripture says about the blessing that a dad gives. In fact, we see this all over the Bible. We see this with Abraham. It says in Genesis 49, 28, and it says, uh, and uh, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and and, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. And he speaks words uniquely how they're, and he says, this is what I see in you. If you read that part of the Bible, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's what uh, wasn't so much prophetic as God said, hey, this is something that's not, there. It's, there was a seed of it already in him. And Abraham says, I see this in you. To his son, Dan, who would lead in justice. And he says, you know what? I see that you're going to help people know right from wrong, that God is going to use you in that way. Jesus experienced this. In fact, we read in Luke chapter 3, it's not only the announcement of Jesus as, as the incarnate Son of God. We also see an example that God gives in terms of his blessing uh, to Jesus, the son, says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him and bodily formed like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love with whom I'm well placed. I think that just if you could memorize anything as a dad, you are my son, you are my daughter 
whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. I, I shared the story, or I, uh, maybe I did a number of years ago. Uh, a friend of mine, his dad's a professor, fairly well-known one. And he struggled. I, I know in today, he's older than I am. I, he's like in his early 50s. And he still will tell you the story when he said, Dad, what do you think about me? And his dad said, you're okay, but there's lots of room for improvement. And so he fought against that the rest of his life, or to this point in his life. There's not a son or daughter, whether 5 or 15 or 50, that doesn't need to hear, I love you and I'm well pleased with you. And then number six, help them know the real God. Spiritually, uh, this is a role of parents. In fact, it's interesting in the Bible, of course, the Bible is a spiritual history. By the way, those of you who sort of, you know, wonder about the Bible, and uh, it's a spiritual history. So it doesn't say everything that ever happened, but it does say everything that spiritually significant that happened. And so we read in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, it, it says this, when God gives the commands to the nation of Israel, uh, it, it he says this, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So you get the point there? Make God normal in your home. And I know it, it's hard because, you know, we're like, uh, not sure if you want to talk about spiritual Things. It reminds me when I was in college. I, uh, I went to UW, was in a fraternity, and the only time people ever wanted to talk about God, I'd try to have spiritual conversations. It was usually after they were three sheets to the wind, or maybe 18 sheets. They're like, dude, let me tell you. And that's exactly how they talked, by the way. And uh, you know what I think about God? And I'd say, well, why don't we you know, talk in the morning because you're not going to remember anything. <laughs> Part of that will be a blessing too. The interesting thing is talking to some of my friends who are in that same fraternity, some who attend Timberlake Church. And they've came through a point in their life where they said, this is too important to just sort of lay this to the side. One of my Best friends in the fraternity. I got to tell you, and, and this is sort of uh, shows you how a man of faith that I am not sometimes. I talked to him about Jesus so many times. I had lunch with him a few weeks ago. And uh, is he successful? Yeah, he's a, a, a federal prosecutor. He does all sorts of things. But all he talks to me about is the kids he teaches in a Sunday school, because he considers that's one of the most important things. Because there was a point where he said, I've got to settle this for me. And if you haven't, it's not bad to doubt. Here's, here's, one thing, here, here's one thing that I find, though, interesting, is today there's almost the glorification of doubt. Doubts are normal. It means you're a smart human being. But can I tell you, to stay in doubt means, huh, is, is that really smart? Or would I not try to come to some conclusions in my life? There are some things you're not going to conclude this, this, this side of heaven, 
But there are some things that we need to say, okay, I'm gonna settle this. Do some research. Uh, I'm not sure if I believe the Bible. I hear this all the time. By the way, uh, if you're around here, we have a, a message I've done a number of times, how I can trust the Bible. Uh, and usually what will happen is it has nothing to do with theological historical evidence. It has to do with the Bible contradicts the way I want to live, and so now I doubt the Scripture. In fact, there was, I've said this to uh, someone who's actually a Christian leader in our country. He leads a thousand churches. I talked to him this week. And he said, you said that to me, and we actually did research on it. And he said, do you know how true that is, what you said? I said, well, I thought it was true. <laughs> but literally, he says, no, we've now, that when it came to people who started to doubt Scripture, he said it almost never started with any real philosophical, theological issue. It almost always started with, hey, I don't always like what God says. Do you know that God's okay with you not liking what he says? But he loves you. Because would you, do you really want a God that would agree with everything and lie to you to make you happy and lead you into a life that will not work and will not lead you into his presence, into his holiness? Or would you rather have a God who loves you enough to say things that are difficult to you. The people who I know who've loved me the most in my life have said things that are difficult when I'm, you know, sort of out of whack. Believe it or not, that happens. And then usually I say thank you to my wife for saying that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that is actually very true. <laughs> Anne Lamont uh, many of you know her. She's an author. She became a Christian. Uh, and her father, she grew up, her, her, her father was an alcoholic and an atheist. In fact, he, he, he would ridicule Christians so much uh, that it was, she would never even felt the opportunity to check out faith. She said uh, she, she actually made a contract with her dad, and his dad made her sign a contract that she would never believe in God. But she wrote this, I always knew in my heart that when I prayed, there was someone there who listened. And she took that step of faith to know the real God. I came across uh, this, this poem, Speaking of God. I usually don't read a lot of poems, but I thought this one was great. It says, My father is patient and kind. My father is not envious, never boastful. My father is not arrogant. My father is never rude. He is not self-seeking. My father is not quick to take offense. My father keeps no score of wrongs. My father does not gloat over my sins, but is always glad when the truth prevails. My father knows no limit to his endurance, no end to his trust. My father is always hopeful and patient. You recognize that maybe from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because it says God is love. And so that's, that's the God you need to get to know. I've said this many times, people say, I don't believe in God, and I always say, tell me the God you don't believe in, because half the times I don't believe in that God either. But there's a real God who really loves you. And that leads to my last point. Set an example of faith. 
Our theme verse in this series was Joshua 1.9. It's not in your outline, but it is in the Bible. It says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And it's interesting, God spoke that to Joshua, who is very fearful. In fact, many times in the first couple chapters of this book, and at the end of getting towards the end of the book, when people are rebelling against God, they're going their own way, by the way, and they're following after other gods. You know what Joshua doesn't do? He doesn't protest. He doesn't do anything like that. He says, but, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He said, I've made a decision that's going to impact everyone. See, my greatest shot at knowing Jesus, my kid's greatest shot, is for them to see him in me. Romans uh, says this, 10.9, says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. All it takes is that little bit of faith that says, God, I want to. And maybe you've toyed around the edges of faith for a long time, or maybe been disengaged, and maybe even no one knows it. And God would say, how about on this Father's Day weekend that you would acknowledge me as Father? Because you know what? There's all sorts of skills to learn and things to do, but more than anything, it's about your heart. 